0: Egypt of Pyramids, Mummies, and the Afterlife. Welcome to the Thinking Things True podcast. I'm your host, Ron Chung. I will discuss my recent trip to the land of pyramids and mummies where I explored ancient Egypt's beliefs about the afterlife. What happens after we die? In a second podcast on Egypt, I will talk about how Egyptian religions influenced the thoughts of five men in the Bible. I wanted to know how Egypt's legends and stories shaped their beliefs about God, as well as the latest archaeological, historical, and scientific discoveries that relate to biblical events. So I hired a private guide who was both an Egyptologist and an archaeologist to visit five locations the Giza governorate to see the pyramids of Saqqara, Dashur, and Giza, to Luxor to see the Egyptian temples, to Edfu and kom Ombo to visit the Greco-Roman temples, to Abu Simbel to see Ramesses II's temples, and then to Cairo to see the mummies learn about the Egyptian beliefs in the afterlife, as well as the Coptic Christianity's holy family tradition. My first stop was at the Giza governorate. We drove to Saqqara to see King Joseph's Step Pyramid built during the Third Dynasty. Next, I went inside the Pyramid of Pharaoh Unas, who had inscriptions cut into the walls inside the pyramid, now known as the Pyramid Text, designed to guide the dead to the afterlife. Then on to Dashore to see the Bent Pyramid, built by King Sneferu during the Fourth Dynasty. I also went 200 feet inside the Red Pyramid by a three-foot-high passage it was like climbing down and up a 20-story building hunched up the entire time. King Snefru was buried here. Finally, on to Giza to see the pyramids of Khufu, Khafre and Menkaure, as well as the Sphinx, all from the 4th dynasty. Egyptian pyramids are resurrection machines built by ancient kings to house their mummified bodies so that on Judgment Day, they may be born again to the afterlife. While pyramids housed the dead bodies of kings, the nearby temples housed the spirits of their gods. Now, if these four terms, Judgment Day, Resurrection, Born Again and afterlife seem familiar to Bible readers, it's because Christianity drew from Judaism, which drew from ancient Egyptian religious teachings. Now, For me, being right there, staring at these ancient buildings that Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Jeremiah and Jesus himself would have seen, was quite breathtaking. These pyramids are among the oldest artifacts that connect history to the Bible. In Egypt, reading parts of the Bible became more like reading history. Now, My next stop was Luxor, a one-hour flight from Cairo, to visit four locations. Luxor and Karnak on the east of the Nile and the Valley of the Kings and Hapshatsut's temple on the west of the Nile. Thus the Nile River Devised the gods on the right bank and the kings on the left bank. At Luxor and Karnak, generations of Egyptian kings built ever bigger temples, obelisks and storehouses of religious treasures to a variety of gods to ensure the economic well-being of the kingdom. By the time of the New Kingdom, after 1,000 years of burying kings in pyramids and having their bodies and treasures stolen, the royal bodies were buried 400 miles south of Giza, under mountains that look like natural pyramids, rather than building pyramids that look like artificial mountains. This place came to be known as the Valley of the Kings. Now, at this valley, 63 royal tombs have been uncovered so far. I visited tombs of the Kings Rameses I, Rameses Third, and Rameses IV. I also visited one of my favorite monuments, the Mortuary Temple of Queen Hapshetsu stunning display of the most powerful female pharaoh ever. Hapshatsut was the daughter of Thutmose I and was married off to her half-brother Thutmose II. When he died, the throne was supposed to be passed on to his young son by another wife, but Hapshatsut usurped the throne from her stepson. Thutmose means to be born of God Thoth and refers to the God Thoth born again as Egypt's king. Tothoth was both scribed to the gods and to the underworld. Now, later, the Hebrew word Moses meant to be drawn out of the water, but was associated with the name Tutmosis or to be born again. Now, by the time of Jesus, the gospel writers introduced the concept of being born again. So here you see born again, first used by the Egyptians for the name of the, uh, the kings, and then later by the Hebrews for the name of their leader, and finally, the concept of born-again was introduced in the Gospel. At Luxor, I learned that the terms judgment, day, resurrection, born-again, and the afterlife had much older pre-Christian origins. It was gratifying to learn that God was actively engaging human minds long before modern religions and their doctrines were invented. From Luxor, I embarked on a four-day sail upriver on a Nile Moto Cruiser. My destinations were Edfu and Kom Ombo. The temples of Edfu are among the most well-preserved in Egypt. Many of these Ptolemaic or Greco-Roman temples were repaired and rebuilt by Greek and Roman rulers of Egypt over earlier Egyptian temples. Here we find that Alexander the Great's conquest of Egypt led to the Europeanization of Africa's greatest monuments. At Kom Ombo, the main temple was dedicated to two divine trinities, Sobek Hathor and their child Honsu, as well as Haroeris, Tazanet, Nofret and their child Paneptawi. At the back of the temple are figures of a lion, a falcon, a bull, and a serpent, representing the four winds. Now, in the Old Testament, the author of Ezekiel chapter one verse ten describes four creatures as each of the four had the face of a human being and a lion on the right side and the face of an ox and an eagle on the left side. In the New Testament, the author of the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 7, describes them as, the first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face of a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Now, by the 2nd century uh, AD, Bishop irenaeus who lived between 130 to 202 AD, associated these four creatures with the New Testament's four evangelists. The man is Matthew, the lion is Mark, the ox is Luke, the eagle is John. In time, this Christian tetramorph of four shapes derived from the book of Ezekiel's four creatures came to represent four facets of Christ. Egypt's religious animal symbols were inherited by the Hebrew Bible, adopted by the Greeks and Romans in Egypt, and adapted by Christianity's New Testament. Now at Edfu and Kom Ombo, incidental references to Egypt's divine trinities and the four animal symbols that were passed on to the Jewish, Greek and Roman religions became part of the culture into which the Bible was finalized and into which Jesus was born. After the boat docked in Aswan, a three-hour bus ride brought me to Abu Simbel, where Pharaoh Rameses built two massive rock-cut temples. Again, we encounter a temple dedicated to a 13th century BC trinity of Egyptian deities, Rahoakti, Betar, and Amun. Now, what's the significance of Ramesses II for biblical scholars? If Moses was a historical figure, Ramesses II was likely the pharaoh whom Moses confronted. The temple's many rooms are filled with writings, carvings, and paintings, and you can see loads of data describing the life of this pharaoh, his kingdom, his friends, and his enemies. So for me, Abu symbol provides important background information into Moses' world, the economic, political, and religious leaders in the ancient Near East and Egypt, as well as their beliefs and priorities. All these shaped the later religions of Judaism and Christianity. My final stop was the capital city of Cairo to see the ancient mummies of Pharaohs. Now, mummies fascinate us because they seem to have cheated death somehow. While the most famous mummy is that of Tutankhamun, the most important is the mummy of Ramesses the Great. Let me tell you a bit about um, the old pharaoh's strange trip to Paris in 1975. His mummy was flown to Paris for examination and conservation. He was issued an Egyptian passport that listed his occupation as king, deceased, and was received with full military honours befitting a king. After extensive scientific work was done to reduce the rate of decay, Ramesses II was returned to Cairo and kept at the Egyptian Museum. In 2021, he was moved to the National Museum of the Egyptian Civilization, where all the major mummies of important pharaohs came on display. Ramesses II is probably the only face from the Bible you're ever going to see. Because of all the other names mentioned in the Bible, he alone has been physically preserved for the past 3,200 years. Finally, I visited the Cavern of Abu Serga, also known as the Church of the Martyrs, Sergius and Bacchus. It was built in the 4th century on the site where, according to tradition, the holy family of Mary, Joseph and Jesus took refuge for three months on their 42-month journey in Egypt. At Cairo, I came face-to-face with what is probably the mummy of a man who met Moses face-to-face and they may have even grown up together in the king's palace. Here, I also stepped into a church that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph might have found refuge. The account of Jesus, the refugee child, reminded me of the plight of political and economic refugees today. This holy family tradition ought to inspire Christians to practice Jesus' call to compassion for the weakest among us, the refugee immigrant. Now, let's take a look at what are led to Egypt's construction of pyramids and the mummification of the dead the judgment day and weighing of the heart ceremony The ancient Egyptians believed that death was only the end of life on earth the person would be judged and his spirit can reach the idea of heaven Of all the organs in a body The heart is the most important. It is the seat of memory, thought, and emotion. It recorded all the deeds of a person's life, good and bad, and the heart was needed for Judgment Day in the afterlife. The Egyptians imagined a wing of the heart ceremony at Judgment Day to determine the destiny of the dead person. During the ceremony, the heart of the deceased is weighed against the feather of Mart, the goddess of truth and justice. If the deceased had lived a life of truth and integrity, the heart is light as a feather, securing access to the field of reeds, which is Aru, the Egyptian afterlife, an idealized vision of one's life on earth in heaven. If the heart is heavy with wrongdoing, it would immediately be devoured by Amit, the monster, and the hope of an afterlife is lost forever. Now, written spells line the walls of the sarcophagus meant to instruct the heart to provide a story that would ensure a successful rise to the field of reeds. The Wing of the Heart ceremony closely matches the Christian vision of the afterlife, with a judgment day, everlasting life in heaven, and eternal death in hell. This connection between Egyptian and Christian beliefs have led many biblical scholars to study the religions of ancient Egypt, for which written evidence predate Christianity's New Testament by at least 1,500 years. It is very likely that the Egyptian belief about the afterlife became the source of Judaic and Christian inheritance of ideas, adopted and adapted for later purposes in a neighboring land, Israel, which became Palestine by the time of Jesus. Now, in summary, the pyramids as the means of the resurrection of Pharaohs to the afterlife show a spiritual practice almost 3,000 years before Christian beliefs regarding the resurrection were established. This is strong evidence of the interreligious continuity between Christianity and religions that predated it. Number two, the temples of Komombo and Abu Simbel, dedicated to Egypt's divine trinities, show that the idea of God in three is a very old one. This remarkable find assures us that the Christian doctrine of the Trinity was not invented in the first century, but had much older history in the ancient Near East. Third, The biblical references to the mummification of Jacob and Joseph ring true to the Egyptian practice of embalming the dead. This is internal textual evidence of the Bible's scientific historicity regarding two major figures of the Old Testament. It shows that parts of the Bible are historically reliable and corroborated by extra-biblical sources. Number four, the Judgment Day's wing of the heart ceremony identifies a practice at least 1,500 years before Christian beliefs about Judgment Day. This shows that New Testament writings about Judgment Day is in line with Israel's neighboring countries' religious beliefs. These archeological discoveries of pyramids, mummies, and wing of the heart ceremony, all achieved by field exploration and scientific analysis, shows the importance of boots on the ground research. Ancient Egypt's beliefs in being born again into the afterlife of the Judgment Day. Why was this trip to Egypt so important to me, a Christian theologian of science? Visiting Egypt showed me that the human quest for God draws from a variety of sources based on local geographies, histories, and vocabularies. Egypt's pyramids, temples, and mummies that describe the divine trinities and stories about Judgment Day and the wing of the heart ceremony are local variations of the same human quest in different civilizations. This does not mean that all religions are the same or that they all lead to God. That would be too simplistic a conclusion. Had I not visited Egypt, it is unlikely that I will think of people from Abraham to Jesus in the context of Egyptian religions. Field research like this makes all the difference to gain a fuller account of the Christian faith. It helped me to think about the inherited beliefs I adopted and adapted throughout my life. Now, in the autumn years of my life, which is also the most interesting time, I'm less concerned about what others think of me. With nothing to prove and few people to impress, I can continue my quest for God and truth without fear or favor. What if Christian beliefs have a far longer history than the Bible? It would make a lot of sense. I used to wonder why God waited until Jesus was born to announce himself. Humans have been around for hundreds of thousands of years, yet God identified himself only 2,000 years ago, and that some like me happened to be lucky to hear the gospel and are saved, but the vast majority of humans, including most of my family and friends, were simply unlucky. It was a hard claim to believe, but I held my tongue. Later, I learned that the Old Testament predated Jesus and the apostles with prophets and kings of ancient Israel who knew about the same God. Now that made sense. Then I learned about Egypt and Mesopotamia, where human writing began, and their influence on the Bible. Now that really made sense. In my explorations and investigations, I began to learn about pre-Christian religions such as Buddhism, Hinduism, and Zoroastrianism. But how far back does God's encounter with humans go? Was God engaging with the human mind before writing was invented during what we call prehistory? I went to learn about the ancient shamanistic and totemic religions of the Australian indigenous nations, which are almost 10 times older than the oldest Egyptian religion. Next, I visited West Africa to learn about wudon or voodoo beliefs that date back to the dawn of human history. My research in human origins led me to deepen my understanding of humanity's most enduring legacy, belief in God. The discipline of paleoanthropology currently dates our oldest known ancestors, what I call anatomically modern humans, or AMH, to about 300,000 years ago, in archaic humans to about 7 million years ago in Africa. My own interests as a theologian of science is when did what I call the spiritually modern humans arise? From the beginning of humanity, spirituality has been at the forefront and every ancient civilization was consumed with a quest for God. Egypt is one of seven civilizations which influenced the writing of the Bible and the origin of the church. But God's compassion extends beyond specific religions of specific countries claiming specific doctrines. And the rise of modern science has not diminished this quest for the divine. That is what I find particularly interesting. So, thinking things through, here's my takeaway from my visit to Egypt. Tracing Egyptian and Christian beliefs show how we inherit, adopt, and adapt assumptions and presumptions by generations of people we trust, whose claims to knowledge form our beliefs. I call this motive CKB, Claims, Knowledge, and Beliefs. It is wonderful to learn that the God of the universe was concerned about the human experience way before any institutionalized religion told us so. Let us not import our prejudices into our beliefs about God, whose love for created nature is wider than our interpretations.